1: Petition. Nothing personal. Word of the day on a Monday, August 17th, 2020. Petition. Seems like an apt word. A lot going on in the country. Democratic convention starts this week. I think it's virtual, Coca. I think there's a bunch of celebrities doing a bunch of speeches. All the polls are coming out. Election Day is coming soon. Please register to vote. Vote. It is critical. But a petition is something that people sign when they are trying to draw attention to an issue. It's unclear to me whether petitioners are consequentialists. So I don't know if everyone who does a petition is doing it because they actually want to have happen what they are petitioning for, or if they're trying to draw attention to the item on which they are petitioning for which they're petitioning, under which they're petitioning? Or is there a third possibility, which is to cause embarrassment to those people in power, to those people who have to make decisions, to those people who cannot be Monday morning media quarterbacks or Monday morning coffee talk quarterbacks like those of us doing these shows or those of you at work or at home talking about the events. It's very different. So I've talked about events and I've done events. I've been a decision maker and I've been a decision critiquer. It's really hard making decisions when you don't have the benefit of hindsight. It is super easy to make decisions when you do. So petition is my word of the day, our word of the day here on Nothing Personal. It's our I'm still learning. Coco wants it to be our show when things are going well, and he wants it to be my show when I say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, or something goes wrong. The minute anything good happens, it's an hour. I get you, Coco. I do. Justin Fields, ever heard of him? Who cares? Doesn't matter. He's a quarterback for Ohio State. Whether you've heard of him or not is not relevant. He decided, I can't believe we're doing more college football. Anyone else tired of college football? I'm a little tired of it. Not going to lie to you. It's not even the season. I guess it should be almost the season. I'm just sick of it. So the Big Ten Conference decided to postpone fall sports. And remember, we talked about that vote 12 to 2, and we spoke to President Jonathan Holloway of Rutgers as part of the Big Ten. So now the decision was made by the presidents on a call. We think the and Iowa voting against and with the other 12 teams voting in favor of canceling or postponing or suspending or halting or stopping. So in the name of love, you with me, Coke, on that? Stopping in the name of love. No idea. Crickets on the other side. Do we have crickets in the soundboard? Is that what a cricket does? Is that what you were doing? So he decided, Justin Fields, that he was going to lead a discussion, although when you do a petition, it's not much of a discussion, and question how the decision could possibly have been made to postpone. He got 238,000 signatures, which is not nothing. It's really not. But the whole thing about signing a petition is what is the actual action item that is required when you are asked by a quarterback of a football team or by other football players to sign a petition. It's as though you are in cahoots with them. You are part of them. It's like being right near an athlete. You got to say, yes, I'm completely in favor of you playing because I want to party and get blackout drunk. <clears throat> I want to have an opportunity to cheer for my school. No conversation about why it was done. So here's what the petition said, and I thought it was interesting to me. The petition is, we, the football players of the Big Ten, together with the fans and supporters of college football, request that the Big Ten Conference immediately reinstate the 2020 football season. Okay, now you could end it right there. They're going to do it. You're petitioning with 238,000 signatures. Reinstate the season. And the presidents and the and the commissioner will say, sure, no problem. The petition goes on to say, Allow Big Ten players and teams to make their own choice as to whether they wish to play or opt out this fall season. Allow Big Ten players and teams who choose to opt out of playing a fall season to do so without penalty or repercussion. We want to play. Hashtag, let us play. We believe that we should have the right to make decisions about what is best for our health and our future. What's actually happening here? What's happening is that In this day and age of wokeness, in this day and age of cancel culture, in this day and age of people trying to be heard, I am all in favor of voices being heard. I think it's important. I'm all in favor of workers having a seat at a table to understand what goes on in management. I'm all in favor of explaining to players why we do the things we do and even in some cases being forced to explain to players why we do the things we do. I'm in favor of honesty, even though the collective bargaining agreements, by definition, call for dishonesty amongst unions and management.
2: But what I don't quite understand is where a student gets off. And don't kid yourself. These
1: players are considered student-athletes. You can call them an athlete. I can call them a student. We can call them student-athletes. We can call them athlete-students. What I would call them are people who are using their school in the way their school is using them. It is a mutually codependent relationship where the student-athletes are using the, the university's platform, the university's gravitas to get attention, either from professional leagues and The United States or around the world, or from businesses that they choose to go into once their careers are over. They're using these universities as a platform to bolster their lives. How many college football players end up being professional football players? It's minuscule from a percentage basis. How many high school football players become college football players? It's minuscule on a percentage basis. So for whatever reason, all the college players these days have a big interest in either unionizing, organizing, or somehow thinking that they have all this power and that this petition will do anything other than nothing. So when you're a college president, here's what you say publicly when you get a petition like that. Generally, you can say nothing. I've always been in favor of saying something where you take the microphone and you say, listen, we've received the petition. We appreciate the youthful exuberance shown. These students don't understand what we have done and the sacrifices we are making as a community in order to make your education as productive and safe as possible. There's no one more sorry than I am that we had to postpone the fall season, both financially,
2: spiritually. It impacts us in myriad ways. They don't really have to respond though. But now parents are getting involved and causing
1: another layer of issue. So a bunch of parents got together throughout the schools, Iowa, Penn State, Michigan. Remember Michigan? We talked about the Jim Harbaugh statement. He's the coach of Michigan. Remember he gave that statement after his president had voted no, and it was basically an FU to his president saying, hey, listen, we've got all the safety protocols in place. We're doing great. Why should we have to suffer? And why should you vote no? when we could go ahead and play non-conference games, etc." So, There are people in Michigan coming out and demanding a reversal of the cancellation, a detailed description of the critical facts used to cancel the season. They want a video meeting with the president of Michigan to discuss the rationale of voting against plane. They want a video meeting with the big 10 commissioner to discuss the big Ten's rationale. I don't know why it can't be audio. Does it have to be zoom? Does he have to shower? Shave? Comb his hair? A detailed description of standard protocols and safety practice for all the big teams. Penn State wants a clear presentation of the
2: medical information used by the Big Ten. A Zoom meeting with parents to answer questions regarding the eligibility. That's what they want at Penn State. I love the nitty lines. You think you got enough problems at Penn State than this? The petition's not going to work. I promise you that. Take a look around college football. Were you
1: around this weekend? Did you see that, was it 19 players in Oklahoma were on break from practice, came back and tested positive because they were partying on campus? Anybody? Anybody paying attention? Listen, I feel terribly for the college students. I went to parties every day in college. I loved college. Who doesn't party? I went to Wisconsin. Party, that's what you do. I understand it's a different experience, and life sucks. I get it. But you have to make the best of living through a historic period and realize that things will get better. There will be a recalibration. But in the meantime, we got a situation. Alabama. Unbelievable what happened in Alabama this week. Wait a minute. Cut that, Coca. It's not unbelievable. In Alabama, what happened is exactly what you'd think would happen in Alabama parting. Nick Saban's daughter came out chastising the people who were parting, tweeted against the partiers, explaining to them why they're not having could endanger football. I'm not sure anything could endanger football in the SEC, even though that's a way to see that there won't be football in the SEC, because I still think they're going to have to cancel, even though they don't want to cancel. But I think they're going to be under pressure to cancel especially with what's happening in Oklahoma, especially if those people from the Alabama party test positive. College football is a complicated situation, much more complicated than the pro leagues. Do not compare, please, the decisions made for college and then the ability of major professional leagues to hold regular season NBA and playoff games, please. The word of the day is petition. Good luck, Justin. Don't be quiet but don't have unreasonable expectations. Petition. Do you know that in the legal world, what the, there's a petitioner. Look it up, Coca. A petitioner and a respondent in a legal case, it's, that's a purposeful word. A petitioner is someone who's literally calling out for a response from the respondent, saying, you have aggrieved me. Is that the word, aggrieved? I, uh, can you imagine? Presque... It's right on the tip of my tongue. So it's it's fine to believe that you're gonna get a response, but just remember, Justin, you're not in the courtroom. Only in the room of public opinion. Okay. How are the Red Sox doing? Well, you know how they're doing because they're on national TV every goddamn day. I get it. I was so frustrated with the Marlins. We were never on Sunday Night Baseball, never the Fox game of the week, always the alternate third Fox game shown to 4% of the country. It's always Red Sox, Yankees, Red Sox, Yankees, Red Sox, Yankees. Oh, drove me crazy. Not that we got less money, because we actually got more money because the national broadcasters would pay more for the right to choose these big market teams like the Red Sox and Yankees. And we split a 30th of that. So I didn't complain about the financial part. It was an ego call for me. I was bothered because I wanted the Marlins to get national attention. It's the same way that your teams in the NBA playoffs starting today, when they have afternoon games, they're all complaining here how Miami has no primetime games in the first round and how bad it is, yada, yada, yada. I get it. When we had to play afternoon games in the playoffs in 03 against the Giants, I thought it was outrageous. Barry Bonds, 100-win team against the hottest team in baseball, best team in baseball since May, and we're playing in the afternoon? Come on, man. It's wrong. But where it really gets screwed up for me is when you have to watch a team like the Red Sox, who just flat out stink. Remember, they traded David Price to the Dodgers. He opted out. They traded Mookie Best to the Dodgers. He's a Dodger now there for 12 more years after this. Chris Sale, they signed to that long-term deal when they shouldn't have. He's on Tommy John. Done. Eduardo Rodriguez, COVID, fake COVID, fake myocarditis. Well, he's fake pitching. And the people replacing him look real to me and they stink. They've used like 11 or 12 starters already. Can't win a game. They're 10 games under. They had a team meeting. And outside, they they were very clear. Here's what we would do with team meetings. I think I may have said this before, but I want to reiterate it. You only have a team meeting. Coco, will you check who the Red Sox next game is? Do they play tonight? And who, who they're playing and who's pitching? Because you only have a team meeting right before your best pitcher is pitching against a crappy team. You don't do a team meeting when you're going into a game against an opposing team's ace. We would never have a meeting about to play the Nationals and face Max Scherzer or Steven Strasburg or Jacob DeGrom of the Mets. You have a team meeting when you're going to win. So the Red Sox have an off day and they play the Phillies tomorrow. It's two-game series. Who's pitching tomorrow? Has it been announced? I'm sure the actual Red Sox have not announced who's pitching because their whole staff is TBA other than Ivaldi. It's like Ivaldi and four rainouts is what they're hoping for. Expos fans will remember that line, Javier Vasquez and four rainouts. So Chaim Bloom is the new chief baseball officer. He watched his players have a team meeting outside. You have to say your meeting's outside now. They did it at the team hotel, and so they have the meeting, and then Chaim Bloom speaks to the media and gives two what I thought were absolutely perfect, perfect quotes. By the way, Coke is on it. The Red Sox are pitching godly. Who are the Phillies going with? Do you know? Has it been announced? Scheduled? Eflin? There you go. They weren't going to do it against NOAA. Boston team meeting. So Chaim Bloom comes out, and I just want to read you a quote from him because it made me smile. When you're the new chief baseball officer, which is the new president of baseball operations, which is the GM, he's basically he came from Tampa. He's now got all this money, except he can't spend it because they're trying to get below the luxury tax threshold. He thought he was getting out of Tampa, and now he's actually into a worse situation because Tampa's ahead of them in the standings. We'll make the playoffs when the Red Sox have no chance. But when your team's doing well, there is a line that you have to say to start off any statement. Number one, obviously the results have not been what we wanted. I reiterate, again, needless to say, irregardless, in regards to, Obviously, try to avoid all of those if you can, because it is obvious. It's so obvious you don't have to say a thing. Obviously, the results have not been what we wanted. Then he went on to say from day one here, I felt like long term sustainability needed to be a really important priority here. You're not with the Rays anymore, Chaim. You're with the Red Sox. Now, granted, they've won more World Series since forth than anybody. Granted, they go World Series last place, World Series last place. It's not uncommon. And it's not a bad plan. If you could promise yourself when you run a team and talk to your fans and say, listen, here's what the next 15 years will look like. Four World Series championships and 11 last place finishes. Are you in or are you out? The final score. A hundred fans surveyed. Top three answers on the board. Over the next 15 years, you will have four championships and 11 last place finishes. Are you in or are you out? In.
2: Survey says a hundred out of a hundred. So when he talks about long
1: term sustainability and how important it is a priority, that's page two of the playbook, because when you're doing well in the current season and you trade away prospects to get a veteran to help you win, what you say to your fans is, when we have a chance to win, we've got to go for it. When you trade your veterans because you're not doing well and get back prospects, we've, you say, we've got to be realistic. And we believe that bringing these players in will help the long-term success of this team. Your statement always plays to the facts
2: at hand. And it makes it boring. So Kyle Bloom has a lot of work to do. The Red Sox stink.
1: And if you don't believe me, they'll be on national television again soon. But luckily, the Red Sox aren't the biggest cluster in baseball, The Marlins aren't, usually they are. The Cardinals aren't, they were. The biggest cluster right now is in Cleveland. Cleveland. So last week we told you that they had two pitchers who went out in Chicago. Those pitchers got sent home, put on the restricted list, got reinstated. Then there was a team meeting, and then those two players, Mike Clevenger and Zach Plesak, got optioned to the minor leagues. Now, don't misunderstand the verbiage used this year. What you're reading everywhere is that players are being sent to the alternate site. It sounds very extraterrestrial to me. The, extras, the alternate site is code word for the minor leagues, even though the minor leagues aren't playing. The alternate site is codeword for you are not receiving major league service time. The alternate site is code word for you are off the 28-man roster. So I found it very strange that they got optioned. Indians have the number one pitching staff in baseball. By over a run, I think, in ERA. That's how good they are. They're only a couple games back of the Twins in the AL Central. Fighting it out with the White Sox. Clevenger and Plesack are two-fifths of their rotation. Forty percent of their rotation is now gone in the minor leagues. Now we have word leaking out of two things that are fascinating. So when we'd have team meetings and we'd have behavioral issues in the clubhouse, We would make our decision of what we wanted to do from a management standpoint. We would then tell the players what we were doing, and we would go to the veterans and try to get by, and if not, not, and then we would tell the full team. Apparently, the Indians players had a meeting where they called out Clevenger and Plesak. Some did it publicly. Some had stayed within the meeting. It came out yesterday that Oliver Perez, that lefty who I think he's 69 years old, he's the... uh, He's been on, I think, every team in baseball. Although I never had him. We never had him. We faced him so many times. He said that he was going to opt out of the season if those two guys are back in Cleveland in time for the Detroit series. That he was going to walk away. Francisco Lindor, their soon-to-be free agent, best player on the team, angry, upset during the meeting, unclear what he threatened the management for the Indians took this opportunity to send out Clevenger and Plesak. And then we had a little math done for us today. And guess what? Would you be shocked to know that by sending down Clevenger and Act for a reason that they are absolutely immune from a grievance that they have manipulated their service time? Would that surprise you? Would it surprise you to know that they can get an extra year of non-arbitration work from Plezac Act by keeping him down for 18 days? Would it surprise you that having Clevenger down for 20 days
2: would actually keep him from free agency for another year? That act for 18 days would stop
1: him from becoming a super two. Super two means you get four years of arbitration, which means you only get him for two years at the minimum. If you keep him from that, then he'd only have three years of arbitration before he's a free agent. So you get him at the minimum for three years. Millions of dollars at stake between the two players over the course of their careers up to free agency. It's about a 10 to $20 million if they continue to be this good. A 10 to $20 million decision to keep them down for 18 or 20 days. Now, in a season like this, That's a big deal. But there is no doubt that there is a service time consideration to what they did, and having the players so angry was helpful to management. Now, as president of a team, I actually never cared what the players thought about our disciplinary decisions or managerial switches. I would talk to them and try to engage them and try to convince them and try to build consensus. But at the end of the day, when we wanted to send a player out, whether it was Ozuna, whoever we wanted to send out in order to Gain time and, and, and do what we thought was right for our team as a whole, financially, spiritually, economically, financially, financially, and
2: financially, and economically. I would wink and smile and tell a few players what was happening.
1: But the media would be told that there was a performance reason. Now the media is told about Clevenger and Police Stack. They went out on a Saturday night. In the old world, I can't even focus you this. On this enough If you sent a player out Because he went out The night after a game It's an automatic grievance And you lose It's automatic That their service time Will be reinstated Automatic Now
2: In the era of COVID Who knows But I can only tell you I am fascinated By what's
1: going on in Cleveland
2: I don't think they're going to Catch the twins by the way
1: So So We got to talk about the Washington football team who did something, and we're going to get to Trevor Bauer later in the show. But when we come back, we're going to review a movie that I watched this weekend where I learned a hell of a lot.
0: This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer.
2: You don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your
0: performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium?
1: Welcome back. We're going to talk about uh, the first ever black president of a national football league was hired today. But before that, I want to talk about a movie that I watched. So as part of the show, we review a movie every single day and or a TV show. So during the weekends, I watch a bunch of movies every day. I watch a movie or, or something, some TV show to get to you on a review, because that's part of what we do here on Nothing Personal. And Catherine Bigelow is an Academy Award-winning female director
2: who directed uh, The Hurt Locker. I think she directed Zero Dark Thirty also. Am I making that up, Coca? I think Catherine Bigelow directed both. Or the
1: writer who wrote this movie wrote both, but she may have directed them both. Either way, she's an Academy Award-winning director. And she directed a movie a couple years ago called Detroit. So I found it on Hulu. I had never heard of it. I don't exactly know why I didn't know what Detroit was. It's about the riots in Detroit in 1967. I didn't know one thing about it. It upset me watching this movie that I was again reminded of my sheltered existence. I was again reminded of how lucky I am. And how winning the birth lottery in this world is 80% of the battle. The people who excel decide to go the last 20%. The people who throw their lives away feel so guilty about the first 80% that they rewind, give it all back. It's like in football, if you have a 60-yard catch and then you say, you know what, that was too easy. I'm going to run backwards and then take a knee because I only want it to be a 30-yard gain. I wish that I had been more aware and more schooled in these events. They were right around the time of my birth. There was a riot, riots that happened over three or four days in Detroit, horrifically violent riots, civil rights related, terribly racist cops, hurting, killing, beating black people. The movie goes through a true real-life situation. It stars Anthony Mackie. It stars the kid from We're the Millers who had his groin. Remember, he got that. that He was with um, Jennifer Aniston and uh, Jason Sudeikis, and they went on a road trip pretending they were a family called The Millers, and it was with Nick Offerman. Outstanding movie. So the kid, the, the son, he's not really their son, stars in this movie Is a racist cop. His name is Will Poulter. And the movie, it really, it's long. It's two and a half hours. And about 40 minutes of it is so upsetting. It's about what happened at the Algiers Hotel. I'd never heard of it. It's about, and it's pretty close to true, but it's hard to know because there aren't too many accounts because it was such a cover-up. The moral is this. She uses Catherine Bigelow handheld cameras. It's very jumpy. I don't feel like she dove into the characters enough. I think there's a lot of problems in the movie. But take it for this, and then it'll be worth your time. Take it for an opportunity, another opportunity to learn and grow and understand the plight of people who are not like you. Understand why we are living in a world the way we are today, and why black people today feel correctly so as though this has been building and building and nothing ever changes. And why would they ever think that 2020 will be the year? And when you're beaten down, pun intended, time after time after time, eventually you just, no pun intended, you wave the white flag. And what we're learning in 2020 is that people are deciding not to do that. People are saying, you know what? Maybe this is the year. Maybe this is the time. They've been saying it for hundreds of years. It's called Detroit.
2: It's upsetting. It's an upsetting movie. Jason Wright has a big job. Jason Wright was hired today to be the first
1: black president in NFL history. I'll give you one guess as to what team hired him. Who would be in the market for a black team president? Anyone? You got it. The Washington football team. When I saw the news today, I wanted to learn as much as I could about Jason Wright former player, only the fourth ever player to ascend to a presidency of a team. He's going to be the president of business operations. He will report directly to Dan Snyder, the owner. Ron Rivera will report directly to Dan Snyder, who's the owner. Jason Wright will have no say over football operations. Though in the statement, Dan Snyder said that we look forward to being champions on and off the field. I think that's just looking forward to him doing it because he's not going to let Jason Wright do it. Jason Wright gave an interview on Good Morning America today, and I watched it, and uh, I felt for him. I felt for him because he is entering a situation where there is so little chance of success and he has the burden of history on his shoulders. It's one thing to be the first black president. It's another thing when you're the first black president of the Washington football team and what's going on in their, with their culture of sexual harassment, their culture of racism, exploitation. He complimented Jason Wright, did Ron Rivera on the culture that Ron Rivera is creating. Jason Wright will learn as president
2: that it's not about the culture that your coach instills, because coaches come and go. It's owners who
1: stay. And if you're good at being a president, you've got a chance to stay. He talked about wanting to, he actually said something in the interview that was quite interesting to me. The interviewer was Michael Strand, who asked him, hey, can we get a scoop? What's the name of your team going to be? And Jason Wright said, well, you'd think because I'm a brother that it's going to be the red tails. And I found that to be such a bizarre answer because I don't want to look at Jason Wright as a brother. I don't want to look at Jason Wright as black. I don't want to look at Jason Wright as white. I want to look at Jason Wright and evaluate him and his ability to be the president of a team how he manages people, how he increases revenue, how he controls expenses, how he interacts with the community and builds the community foundation, how he deals with the limited partners who are trying to sell the team and force Dan Snyder into selling, how he makes women comfortable to work for the Washington football team. Maybe I'm in the minority. I don't really care that he's black. Dan Snyder, You can be as cynical as you want, and I will be. It is highly unlikely to me that Dan
2: Snyder hired Jason Wright if Jason Wright were white. And that is going to
1: come and be an upsetting thing for some people to hear. And Jason Wright will have to prove otherwise, and that is one of the big problems. That's why he has to be a trailblazer. That's why he has to be even better than I was as a president. Win more than one Super Bowl. Get the business built. Solve the issues with FedEx. Your sponsors. Handle your owner. He's got to be better than I ever was because he's under this scrutiny and this this notion that because he's black – He's held to a different standard.
2: I'm going to evaluate him as president. I don't think that he should have taken this job. And if I had a chance
1: to meet him, I would have told him that coming from McKenzie and the things he was doing there, which is a, a, uh, a consulting firm. I would have told him to wait, and I know that that is tough to say, but I would have told him to wait to work for any other team because being the first black president of any one of the other 31 teams would have had a much greater impact, in my opinion, because of what's going on with the Redskins. I just, sorry, because of what's going on with the Washington football team. I believe that his hiring is overshadowed and defined by his color.
2: And he may have the requisite skills, except there is no accounting for how it's possible that he
1: was hired now. What made it now? They just got rid of Bruce Allen? Is that it? No. This is all part of the Daniel Snyder reclamation project. And Jason Wright hopefully will prove to be above that and better than that. Okay. Can you imagine blink ready for me? If you're watching, by the way, if you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe. Nothing personal with David Sampson. I hope you downloaded and listened to the sit down with Jason Stark over the weekend. That was a fun one to do. Thank you so much for rating, reviewing. We'll do an end of month mailbag. Make sure you put your questions. I need reviews. Please write a review on Apple podcast. Just take two minutes. Even if you've done one, do another one. Ask a question. We'll do an end of month mailbag. But blink for me right now, even if you're listening, just blink. I mean, I know you blink by definition all the time, but just do a special blink that's a little longer than normal. blink. Ready? Blink. Hey, MLB is a third done with the season. Blink. That's it. A third done. Now, not all teams have played 20 games because of COVID, but the season is a third done. There are teams who have played more than 20 games. We are inching toward October. So what's happening in the baseball world? Well, quite a few things. Let's start with the new COVID rule. This is a good one, folks. Came out yesterday. A player in Major League Baseball who tests positive for COVID and continues to be asymptomatic for 10 days may apply to the joint committee and be reinstated even in the absence of negative tests. Wow. We thought this was coming. We heard a rumor this was coming weeks ago. I thought it died on the vine, which was smart. But there is such a concern with baseball that its best players may not play, that its teams are being halted. They're hopeful the outbreak stop with the Cardinals, and the Marlins. And what they are hopeful is that when a team has a test like the Reds had one positive test, got everything postponed, that, those, that they can stop that. Because in the postseason, if there is an asymptomatic positive test, you can't postpone postseason games. There is a difference between regular season and postseason in terms of TV and the, the way TV contracts work is that we have to deliver, as a team, a certain number of games to our local TV provider. And we can deliver them, we can do double headers every day. There's no discussion of how many primetime games versus afternoon games. It's just number of games made available for the network to carry our team. Post-season's different. The post-season has a set schedule. And the schedule is a television schedule that is in blocks of time. And it's all interrelated. So if there are postponements, that screws everything up. By changing this rule, what they're saying is if there's a positive test during the postseason and the player's asymptomatic, they can continue to play. They're not going to do it during the regular season because they want to make sure there's no outbreak. If there's an outbreak in the postseason, I think what you'd be looking at is a forfeit. So this new COVID rule certainly to me doesn't take into account the health and safety of the players or the staff, which is something that baseball claims it wants to do.
2: This is a pure financially driven decision. Hey, when it's business, it's business, right? So the Cincinnati Reds had a positive test. It was
1: released by somebody. I don't know who. And as part of it, We didn't know who it was. The Reds, then their series against the Pirates, maybe, was postponed. And then it got interesting. Trevor Bauer tweeted out about 10 or 11 hours after the first rumor of a positive test, tweeted out that the Reds had had a positive test. Trevor Bauer, remember that picture? He's the one who never wants to sign a big free agent deal, wants to go year by year. He was on Cleveland. He threw the ball into the stands, was traded to Cincinnati. For Yassel Puig, one problem for another. He's now on Cincinnati. They have a good pitching staff, but they're underperforming. To say the least, they're 9-11. and They're one game behind the Cardinals and the Brewers. So Trevor Bauer tweeted out something about the Reds. And then all of a sudden, he got into another Twitter war with Scott Boris. Now, listen. You'd think that I would be all about Trevor Bauer in this case because of how much I love Scott Boris. But I actually found what Trevor Bauer did to be fascinating. He tweeted at Boris Corp directly saying, if you have a problem with me, call me directly. Stop sending players to do your bidding for you. But that's what he's doing. Trevor Bauer is doing the opposite of what he wants to have done. If you want to be called directly by Scott Boris, call him directly and tell him. If you want to tweet about it, that means you just want followers and likes and you want to engage in a public discourse to get attention for yourself. It's totally inconsistent. It's such a Trevor Bauer thing, right? Everyone views him as such a brilliant, smart video logger and all the stuff he's doing. But he's putting on a show for you guys. Just know that. Now, Scott Boris has been in the news Wow. But Bauer also tweeted that Scott Boris wants to shut my vlog down. He's not a friend of the people or fans. He's not a fan of players marketing themselves. He's not a fan of marketing his players. Public service announcement to all players reading this. He doesn't care about you. He cares about himself and his ego. Be smart. I think Trevor Bauer watches nothing personal. Hey, shout out to you, Trevor. You're my man. Hit the subscribe button. Boris stepped in it again this weekend. I was going to talk about Boris on today's show, having I mean, nothing to do with Trevor Bauer until I saw those tweets. Scott Boris went public because the trade deadline's coming up August 31st, and Scott Boris went public saying, Listen, for all you thinking there's not going to be a lot of trades, I just want to tell you that uh, I've got private jet ready to transfer any of my players traded. Huh. Well, that's against the rules. Then he stepped back and said, No, no, I'm just going to reserve the jets, but the teams have to pay for it. So he's saying the team should pay when they're making trades to get the players transferred out of one bubble into another, so to speak, have them fly privately, because that's a way to keep them out of flying commercially. If they're traded, normally when you trade for a player, you call the traveling secretary. Well, really, the traveling secretary. When a trade happens, you get the phone cell number of the player from the opposing team's GM. You give the cell phone number to the owner who calls the player. First, the GM calls the player to say welcome, and you say to the player, the traveling secretary will call you. The traveling secretary calls the player and says, here's your flight. You have 48 hours to report. We'd like to get you on a flight tomorrow. We're in Detroit. Come meet us in Detroit. And here's the flight. And we don't pay attention to any timing. We just want the player there as quickly as possible with total reckless disregard toward packing or alerting their family or figuring out babysitting. Don't care. Not our problem. Report and start playing for us. And then, of course, we tell our own player he's been traded. And we say, we've given your cell number to the other team. You may hear from his GM or not. You probably will hear from their traveling secretary. Good luck. Good luck. So Boris, with his private jets, is trying to say that he wants players traded now. Let me explain why Scott Boris wants activity during the deadline because there may be some confusion about that. He wants players traded during the deadline because two things that he has with his players. Number one, he's got assignment bonuses. So when players get traded, they get extra money, which means he gets extra money Two, He wants as most players in the postseason as possible because he knows that players who perform in the postseason, when they become free agents, they get more money because he goes to the owner and says, you want this guy, you want this guy,
2: Look what he did when it mattered. Look
1: what he did when it counted. Doesn't really work that way. Just because you had a good month doesn't mean that you're worth 5X what you should be worth. But Boris wants trades to happen. He wants
2: players to be on better teams in the postseason. I see you, Scott. I see you.
1: Wait to see. You know what we do on Wait to See? We spend time telling you things are going to happen. When they don't happen, we own up to it. When they do happen, we'll gloat. On December 2nd, 2019, God, that's forever ago, we said James Harden would score 62 points in a game. I actually have to say I because on am to sees that are no's, they're mine. On wait to sees that hit. They were Coca's idea. I thought James Harden would score 62 points in a game after he scored 60. Then there was COVID. He didn't score 62 in the bubble. I'm giving myself a no. On December 6, 2019, I said that Odell Beckham Jr. will not be a Cleveland Brown when the NFL season starts. I'm taking the no. I'm shocked that they kept him. But it's a no. On February 3rd, 2020, I said the Super Bowl winner, this is right before the Super Bowl, I said the Super Bowl winner will visit the White House. There was all this talk about we're not going, we're not going, we're not going. I'm taking a yes on that because the Chiefs had plans to go and then it was canceled because of COVID. On my birthday, February 26th, I have no idea why this was the wait to see on my birthday. I said the New York Yankees will not trade for a starter until the trade deadline. And this was February 26th, pre-COVID. The trade deadline is August 31st. I'm going to take the yes, even though we've got two weeks to the deadline. But a deal even done now would be considered sort of a deadline deal. And by the way, they do need starters. On April 6th of 2020, in the middle of COVID, I said the PGA Championship will not happen in August in San Francisco. I didn't think there was a chance given how bad California was. And it turns out I was wrong. There was hockey. Then Coca and I told you on July 13th, 2020, that the NFL and NFLPA
2: will each have separate PR statements, Ray Labor. They did. We were right. What did I just say, Coca? I said there was hockey? I didn't. PGA Championship is golf. I didn't
1: say hockey. And if I did say hockey, that's horse hockey. All right, I got to wait to see to add to the list today, and here it is. The Padres and Reds have been the talk of the town. The Orioles, the Marlins are the talk of the town. Orioles playing great. Marlins playing great in first place. Tatis Jr., the number one guy in the world leading the league in home runs, tied with Judge Trout, I think. The Reds, they got everybody. Well, here's my way to see. Marlins, Orioles, Reds, Padres, all four of them. I'm going to go four for four. And in an era of expanded playoffs, that's tough to do. All four will miss the playoffs. Why? Come on, man. That's two of those in one show. Because it's just business and wait to see. It's nothing personal.